The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to What You Miss This Week. I'm Caroline Hyde. This podcast has some of our favorite interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor along with Romain Bostic and Joe Weisenthal. What'd you miss? Come on, it's the perfect way to kick off your weekend. This week, for our ongoing CEO Spotlight series, we focused in on Delta's CEO, Ed Bastian. Bastian has led the airline since 2016, but has been with the company on and very briefly off since 1998, also serving as president and chief financial officer. Now, Delta was riding high at the beginning of 2020, awards coming in as Bastian managed to pay down the company's debt load all the while on a hiring spree. Then the pandemic upended all of that. The spread of COVID-19 ground all non-essential travel. And of course, companies slashing business travel and COVID restrictions making much international flights, well, pretty much nearly impossible. US airline passenger levels, they're down over 63% compared to this week last year. That's according to DSA data. So I started by asking him, how? How on earth has he been handling this hit to Delta's business? And where he thinks the airline is in terms of getting through this crisis? Well, as you mentioned, it was quite a quite a change in our plan for the year. We, we had just finished an all-time record, uh, not just for for the U.S. industry, but within the global industry and revenues and profits and customer satisfaction, all the things that we we like to pride ourselves in. And then when the pandemic hit, we went from that to less than 5% of our revenues within 30 days. It was really dramatic. Uh, today, we're, we just finished uh, reporting our third quarter results. We're 20% back. Uh, second quarter, we were 10% back. Third quarter, 20% back. This fourth quarter uh, that we're in currently, we're expecting to be somewhere between 30 to 35% back. Uh, slow, steady improvement. People are getting uh, more confident with air travel. I think one of the challenges we have in the industry is not just the air travel component, which I think people are increasingly feeling more confident in, and we can talk about that, but it's the other aspects of the journey. The businesses aren't open, the, the restaurants aren't, aren't consistent, the quarantine measures are, are pretty significant in many parts of the country and certainly the world. So the, the world hasn't really opened up to travel in a meaningful way yet, certainly not air travel, uh, but as it does, we're gonna be well positioned. How hard is it to keep reassessing that current environment when we're looking at the UK, France, parts of Europe having to double down on lockdowns once again? How confident are you that by 2021 there will be some sort of normality? I don't know. 21 will be completely normal. Hopefully by the end of 21 we'll be in a much more normal state and 22 probably is the first year of the new normal, as people like to say. Uh, when we uh, look at this winter, I think you're going to continue to see more of the same. I think people are itching to get out. So uh, travel, transportation, you know, people more broadly are, are continuing to move, certainly in the U.S. 
Uh, we've been watching uh, the stats. We watch the world stats every single day in every market around the world, and it is quite troubling when you see the surge that we've seen building over. Really, it's been over the last six weeks in Europe, mm -hmm. not just not just currently. And when we think about the U.S., we have more states where the virus is growing than many more than where it's contained. In the South, where we're at now, we're in a better spot, I think, than other other parts of the U.S. But the virus moves. And that's one of the challenges we have, anticipating trying to get ahead of the virus. The better you do uh, in managing it, unfortunately for our business, it means people not traveling. You've taken dramatic steps, perhaps more than rivals, blocking the middle aisle, saying you're going to be doing that into the first quarter of 2021. What does this new normal that you mentioned sort of look like? Does the business traveler come back? Because that was really an area that you'd double down on and won a lot of market share. Yeah, no, business travel is key to our business model. And we've made a big bet on business travel. And I do think it's going to come back. I don't know that it'll come back entirely, 100%. I think video technologies have going, are certainly going to be uh, a complement to business travel. Mm -hmm. There will be some trips that won't need to be taken because of uh, business travel, but I, uh, because of video technology. But I don't think it's going to be a substitute in any meaningful way. I've been around this business for a long time, both in the airline business and then as a business traveler earlier in my career. And every time we go through a period of crisis, whether it was 9-11, global recessions, any, any kind of economic bump, the first thing that people uh, are quick to say is that business travel isn't going to return and if there's going to, it's going to be substituted and you can go back in time to when email first started and, and, and techni technology and now it's digital technology that's going to replace it. The human spirit is not going to let technology get in its path. I think people will want to be together and our mission at Delta is to, is to connect the world and the world right now feels very isolated, feels very distant from itself and that's our business purpose and so in some ways to me it's reaffirmed the value that we bring the purpose we have in what we do you talk about those prior crises and of course you were joining the business back in 1998 and very swiftly came along 9-11 what do you think you learned from that what how do you lure the user back the consumer back with confidence what do you think you'll have to take in terms of the steps after this to yes we might have a vaccine but people are going to be long-term impacted by what's just happened. I agree with you. Uh, the consumer behavioral uh, response, we, we're, we're still learning. We obviously don't quite know yet, but there's no question that it's not going to go back to what it was. Uh, the first thing that we're learning is that we need to take our own wellness uh, it, it much more seriously. Uh, mm -hmm. Public health, public gatherings, everything that we do, we took for granted uh, for too long. And, and treating, treating the virus and maintaining uh, proper care over ourselves will teach us how we, we travel into the future. Uh, today at Delta, restoring consumer confidence is the most important thing that we're doing. We're having really good success with that. Uh, learning the facts about how safe air travel is is really important. IATA, the International Aviation Trade Group, just came out with a study a couple of weeks ago that indicated over one billion people have traveled by air this year alone across the world and they only had 44 documented cases of transmission aboard an aircraft fortunately none of those on delta and all of those were in the early weeks of the pandemic so the more facts that people are learning about the more steps we're taking around our our, uh, our cleaning protocols the filtration systems we have on board 
blocking middle seats, enforcing masks. It's really actually a, a really good experience and customers are telling us that because their satisfaction scores are at record high in Delta. And so will you focus more on the leisure traveler, do you think, going forward, if business is going to not come back to the full extent, to the 100% that you saw back in 2019? Yeah, I think we will have more of a focus on, on leisure. Uh, currently, that's the bulk of our travel right now. Uh, we're seeing about 15% of our normal business volume. So 15% is a pretty dramatic reduction, 30% uh, in terms of total travel, but only 15%. Uh, for business travel. Uh, businesses are not open now, though. Uh, businesses uh, have uh, not just closed, conventions aren't being held. Uh, any kind of gathering any, that, that's a big part of the hospitality industry isn't occurring. So it's, it's too early to tell that to the extent to which business travel will come back, certainly the ramp anyway. But I think 12 months from now, when you think about all of the effort that's being placed, the, the tens of billions of dollars in vaccine development, metal tech, medical technologies, therapeutics, testing, tracing, uh, people taking greater care of their own well-being and wellness, and people seeing that the mortality, the, 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 the uh, rates of mortality continue to drop on a global basis. That all is going to combine at some point, I think, coupled with people's desire to get out and start moving again, to really probably have a, have a nice pickup in travel. Whether it's mid-year next year, I don't know, but when, we, when it does happen, we're going to make sure we're doing it safely. I mean, from a personal perspective, I'm desperate to get back traveling. I'm desperate to cross the Atlantic to get back to family in the UK. Are you, are you seeing innovation from your industry and, and being supported by government in some way of, of how you open certain transit lines in between, say, London and New York has been often talked about. Have you got innovative? Yeah, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking to the authorities, both here as well as in Europe, uh, the, the local country authorities, the airport authorities, uh, working closely with CDC in the U.S. And I think you're going to see um, initial steps taken hopefully here soon. Of course, we've got to watch the virus because the virus right now is mm. surging in Europe. So it's probably not an ideal time to be opening up uh, experimental routes. But I think you'll see pilot routes starting, uh, but it will be coupled with a pretty significant amount of testing uh, that will enable travelers when they get to their destination not to have to quarantine. That, that's the goal. It's not just the safe transit, which is important, but also the fact that they can enjoy the reason they're traveling, which is to go on holiday or to conduct business or to be with family. If you have to quarantine, for an extended period of time when you arrive, there's no point in actually taking the trip. So that, that, that's why we're working so carefully with the authorities to minimize the quarantine procedure. And whenever international travel does start to open, it's not as if a, a green light's going to go off and we're back to where we were. We're going to have to test it slowly in, in specific markets. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This week, the White House and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi continue negotiations over a potential next round of stimulus. But for all of the optimism expressed by lawmakers, by members of the Trump administration, well, there's still not been enough progress to get an actual deal. 
making the prospect for more fiscal relief before the election less and less likely. There is, though, widespread agreement among lawmakers that the next stimulus package should include aid for the airline industry, with some even proposing a standalone bill to help the industry. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that it's unlikely an airline aid package will get to the president before the election. Now, Delta has worked hard not to take further aid from the US government. But I asked Ed Bastian if he thinks more fiscal relief from the US government is needed. You know, the uh, the lot of conversation in our country around airline stimulus, stimulus in general for our economy, I do believe our economy needs another round of stimulus. Uh, if the airlines are provided uh, a portion of that, I think that would be good to receive. Uh, the first CARES Act that we had in our country saved us uh, all the ability to protect jobs within our industry. As of the 1st of October, over 30,000 uh, U.S. airline uh, employees were put on furlough, fortunately none at Delta, but on the other mm. carriers. And the ability to bring those people back to work requires another round of, of government stimulus. I, I think it's warranted when you think about where we are today in the virus. You know, we're actually, you know, in a position that's far worse than we originally anticipated we would be when we had the initial six-month uh, stimulus uh, grant. And we've had bipartisan support. There's not a question whether it's whatever side of the aisle you're on or even in the administration about the need, the importance, the essential work that our airline industry workers provide. It's really finding a vehicle by which people can agree to get, to get the stimulus out. So I'd say the government, while you know that's a frustrating point that we haven't been able to find the vehicle, in total, our, our governmental support and leaders from both sides of the aisle have been very helpful. Ed, I know that people are front and center for you, particularly your own people, and you talk about the philosophy that you have at Delta, of taking care of your people. How has it been trying to, it must be in a way soul-destroying, but then soul reaffirming when you see the steps that some of your workers have done, the, the decisions that they've taken to retire early, to help one another, those that have taken time off work unpaid, trying to ensure that their industry and their business survives. Yeah. How do you keep morale up? Well, you know, there's, there's, there's a special spirit in this industry, and there's certainly a special spirit at, at Delta. The culture uh, is what makes this company the great company it is. Uh, we tell our, our team all the time, it really are the people that's the only thing that distinguishes us from the competition, because uh, everyone has the same aircraft and you fly to the same destinations and use many similar technologies. It's only the people and the culture of those people that make a difference in the consumer eyes. And when you get to a point where we are today, where the, the, the company and the industry is in a very, very tough situation, it's been heartwarming to see the people step up. Now, our people have been rewarded over the last five or six years through a very strong growth period, profit-sharing payouts of a billion dollars a year and, and great rewards and opportunity. But they also know this is the time to step back and to protect not just jobs for each other, but protect the health for each other, you know, all the steps we're taking to, to ensure our customers' safety is protected as well as our, our fellow colleagues. So we've had over half of our staff take unpaid leaves of absence at various times throughout the summer. Saved us an enormous amount of money. We've had 20% of our workforce 
retire, early retire this summer, which was hard to, to, to go through, but it was necessary because those people stepped aside so that younger people could hold their jobs. We've had voluntary uh, reductions of work hours. All of it's been completely voluntary to this point. And as a result, they have saved jobs. They've, they've saved Delta a tremendous amount of cash. We're getting our cash burned down to really manageable levels by the end of the year. And uh, we're going to be well positioned because the morale is really, is, it's interesting, it's really strong. When I, I travel all the time, I'll be traveling tonight mm -hmm. actually, and I, every, every place I go, uh, not just customers, but fellow employees thank me uh, on behalf of the entire company for what we're doing to protect them. They feel that sense of protection. I, I speak to them weekly. We have town halls. We have a lot of communication vehicles using video technology as, as a tool in a good way. And uh, people feel very connected, distant, but very connected to our mission. And it's, and it's really good to see. Does it make you look inwardly at yourself as CEO and the pay that you're getting and the, the way in which you're recompensed and looking further out? How does it make you feel? How do you reassess the role that you play? Well, um, th that's one of my, my roles here at the company. I, I'd like to say the role of a CEO is to be looking out on the horizon three years, five years, 10 years out, where the company is going. And it's probably uniquely the role of a CEO. And, and that, that view has changed a lot in the, in the, you know, over the course of this year. What it's done for me is it's reminded me, you know, one more time, uh, how important service is in this business. When we see what our customers are telling us, what our people are telling us, how protecting, protecting their wellness in, in, in every aspect of that word was our top priority. Uh, we're doing that. Uh, we've been protecting our cash and our resources uh, throughout, and we've raised plenty of cash to get through a long winter. But also, uh, Carolyn, you, you have to protect the future, and we gotta, we got to keep that long-term goal. We're playing the long game. It would be very easy for us to be selling the middle seats. You know, the, the, the competition is doing it broadly. We're one of the few airlines in the world that, that isn't selling the middle seat. I think people would understand, given our financial predicament, that we needed to raise the cash. But we want to put people and their safety and their wellness above the money we'd raise, the, the, the profits we'd raise by selling those middle seats. Because we know what, in time, we'll start to sell the middle seats and people will come back uh, when they feel safe and when the medical authorities tell us you know, air travel is the way people should travel long, long distance. And as a result of that, you know, the brand is going to maintain and, and, and be built at an even higher level because of how we handled ourselves during this pandemic. Look out for me three years from now and about the talent pool. You've got a lot of people working for you at the moment, some that are having to go unpaid, some that are maybe even forced in the pilot arena to take furlough at some point or have to lose their roles. What do you think of enticing good, strong expertise into this business when we can see that this crisis is going to have long-term implications? Well, we've been uh, very much focused on uh, retaining the talent that we have within the company. While, while our numbers are reduced and we're now a 20% smaller company because we've, mm. we've done that all through voluntary measures, we've made certain the talent that we've brought to the company who we consider to be the very best talent this industry has, is still here, uh, is working, and, and has that long-term goal in mind. And you know, it's interesting. You, you, we talk about what our roles are over the next several years and how we how we inspire. And you know, in, in, in a really really hard time, uh, my uh, my boss, the chairman of Delta, Frank Blake, told me at the start of the pandemic that 
people think that crises uh, build character. And we've been through a lot of crises. Uh, and I think we all know that crises don't build character. Crises reveal character. It reveals yeah. your values. It reveals your purpose. This has been a time for all of us, not just in the travel industry, but every, every walk of life, to have the moment of, of reflection. You know, because of the pandemic, we've all been quieted and we've all seen all the challenges. Society is going through probably a little more clearly than ever before. And it's allowed us to reaffirm what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and the, the, the purpose of that. And the purpose is so important. And I see the purpose here of bringing the world back together. That's uniquely Delta. That's what we do. That's what will get you back to your family. It, you know, and we've got, to, we've got to battle through that. And I always tell our team that the, the role they play, it's, it's a noble role. We have a noble mission in life in terms of making the world smaller and a better place. And it's never more important than now both traveling through the pandemic, getting people to, to homes in, in a period of crisis, keeping the airways open despite the fear and the, and the anxiety out there, but also longer term. I think it's going to be even more appreciated, that, that service level. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This year, Delta has had to confront more than just the global health crisis from the COVID-19 pandemic and, of course, the economic fallout that came from it. The airline has also had to deal with a reckoning over racial injustice and the societal push for greater equity. Now, Delta is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and its own community has been at the centre of this discussion. Ahmed Aubrey, of course, an unarmed 25-year-old African-American man, pursued, fatally shot while jogging in Brunswick, Georgia. Richard Brooks, 27-year-old African-American, fatally shot by Atlanta police after a complaint about him sleeping in his car in a drive through lane, which of course prompted protest across the city and the resignation of Atlanta's police chief. I asked Ed Bastian, who himself is a Georgia trustee, it's one of the state's highest honors, how his community, his employees, his company, how they're dealing with it. I think we're all struggling with it. I think our eyes have been opened wider than ever before. Uh, the, the pandemic has put us in a vulnerable spot in many ways. Uh, it's quieted us. It's allowed us to, to see and hear things that we were too busy in the past uh, potentially to hear. Those are the voices, uh, people asking for help, uh, the, the inequity, the inequality, the, 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 the challenges that the underprivileged in today's society face both here in our city in Atlanta but around around the US and around the world have been never been more obvious uh, how people have had to deal with the pandemic it's it's widened that gap you know the the folks that that couldn't take care of themselves that 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 needed to that had to get out and work as compared to the privileged who could who could bunker away in their homes and be served by others to, to keep them safe uh, it, there's there's a lot in that in this time uh, I, when you, you think about you know, earlier this summer, the, the, the horrific uh, tragedy with the killing of George Floyd, how that's, that sparked just an ama a massive outrage, I, I've asked people if that happened a year ago, would we have been as outraged? And I'm not sure we would have. 
honestly. I think, I think we're, we're, we're much more in tune to each other and each other's needs right now. And as a result, as a business leader, to me, it's, it's provided a spark and a fire to make certain we don't forget and we don't lose this moment and we, don't, we, we take advantage of this moment. And we're working within the company to do that, uh, reaching out particularly to our, to our African-American, our black community, who when you look into the numbers, you can see they really haven't had the same level of opportunity for whatever reason in, in, our, in our own company, in our own city, in our own country. And as leaders, and I take it very personally because these are family members of mine, I consider, uh, what I have to do to lift them up and, and raise the bar for everyone to have a better, more just society. Uh, so it's something I, I take very personally. And you know, every single day, I'm involved in a dialogue of some nature better to better understand, to better appreciate, to better take action on their behalf. And it's, it's raising the bar for all of us to be better. You've taken it personally, and you are, of course, a white man of privilege, well-paid. How have you taken steps to listen, really listen? Can you give us examples of how you've reached out to those that you've oh, worked sure. with? Sure, uh, many, many different ways. Uh, just last night, for example, we've got a, an employee uh, group, a resource group that we call BOLD, and that's our black employee resource group, uh, resource group and it's, it's just for our black employees to kind of all connect with each other and identify with each other and see what they can do to help, help uh, find areas of, of particular interest. I've told them, uh, and this, this existed long before, before the, the events of this year occurred, I've, I've reached out to them and told them they're my advisory group. So there's about a dozen of them. I spend time with them every few weeks for a couple of hours just listening to them. And there and are frontline employees from every, every walk within Delta, you know, from pilot to a flight attendant to, to uh, airport agents, et cetera, in understanding. And, and, and so kind of taking that gap from the CEO right to the frontline employee and having honest dialogue. And I've told them they're my advisory committee. I need to hear from them. And it was, it was initially, they didn't know if they could trust me or trust us. It was, it was odd. They've never been uh, felt like that. And, and we've now gotten to the point where it's, 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 a, it's a great opportunity. I've told them last night, it's one of the meetings I most look forward to in the week because it's refreshing and they're, they're, seeing, they're seeing the confidence that, that they can take the steps necessary to bring to me what they need to do a better job. We all need to do a better job around racial equity. So that's one thing. We've had leaders come in across, across the, uh, uh, our community, come in and speak to our employees from, from uh, Bernice King, uh, uh, Dr. King's uh, daughter, to Brian Stevenson and others, our mayor here, and I, speaking to our employees, doing a video town halls with them across thousands, if not tens of thousands of our employees, talking about the issues, just stopping and pausing and reflecting. It's work we're doing in our community. It's accountability we're taking inside our company to ensure that our hiring slates are free of bias and systemic racism and the things that you know, we haven't paid the level of attention to that we need now to take. So it's, it's impacting every part of this company. We're going to get through the pandemic. We're going to get to the other side of it. If we don't get to the other side of systemic racism, though, this will be a failure. I bet you can't wait to see those people in the flesh, the town halls where you can shake hands, come together yeah. as people. And, and I, but I think perhaps what is one of the silver linings out of all of this is the progress being made throughout this and the way we reassess ourselves. But I've heard you say before that maybe this is a time, this year has been one of, of people before profits. Is that gonna last, do you think? Is that something that investors, some of your other stakeholders can swallow for the longer term? 
Well, that's always been our strategy at Delta, and we've, we've been fortunate that we can do both. We, we believe the power of the end, the power of putting people first, and the power of earning a return. In fact, the better job you do taking care of your people, the better job our owners are going to do, because those people are going to work harder and they're going to do a much better job of customer service and taking care of good customers like you to make sure that Delta is the airline of choice for the future. So we think it's connected. At times like this, it's dramatically exposed uh, when, you, when you make a decision not to sell a third of your plane deliberately and let people know that that's, that's a cost of keeping people safe. That's putting people over profits. But we, we do that with our people. We've had, uh, over time, our profit sharing program where 15% mm -hmm. of the profits of Delta go back to our employees, our frontline employees. And this past Valentine's Day, we paid our employees $1.6 billion. It's the biggest profit-sharing plan of any company in the world. And our employees generate anywhere between 15 to 18% of their annual income just from the returns from that, you know, uniting both the good work they're doing and rewarding them for it. That's putting people over profits. And yes, Wall Street, when we, when we started the program a number many years ago, they were not happy with us. They thought that those profits belonged to the owners not to the people. And honestly, Carolyn, in the last few years, you know, Wall Street has not asked me that question. They understand hmm. that Delta has the best performance record. We, have the be we had the best profits of any airline in the world by a good measure last year. And we had the best profit sharing payout for our people. They go hand in glove. Fascinating, and it's people before profits are your business. What about environment before profits as well? Because I know that a billion was also committed to offsetting the impact that you have in terms of climate change, in terms of the emissions that you have. Is that something you've been able to ensure that that remains a focus despite the financial intricacies and difficult nature that you find yourself? We, we absolutely will. Uh, obviously, this year with our flying levels dramatically reduced, uh, the cost on, on our, our environment of our footprint is dramatically lower. So it's a relatively modest cost, the investment that we, we need to make. And right now, you know, offset technology is one of the things that we, we're looking at. Uh, but we, we are committed to that billion dollars over the next decade. We're not stepping away from that. We believe long term to, to have a sustainable business model. We have to, to be seen as, as creating a sustainable environment, uh, bringing the, the world to a better place and not just repairing the damage that we create, but investing in the technologies such as sustainable aviation fuels and, and many, many other things that, that will, will allow this industry not to be seen as a dirty industry, but actually is contributing to, to the world's causes. And you know, our sustainable uh, platform is one that we've had to take a pause on some of the investment dollars at the moment, but we're gonna get back to it over the next year. And you know, the thinking is still there. Uh, the investment's going to follow here in the next couple of years as business starts to return. We started this conversation by looking at how the start of 2020 was, riding high, awards, expansion, hiring. When you get back to that, can you see that in the next one, two, three years? Or will you be inextricably and forever changed? Well, we'll all be forever changed. Uh, I hope we're going to be changed for the better. I, we're going to be a more resilient airline. We're going to be a stronger. We're, we're going to emerge from this better. You know, we, we have many things that we have not pulled back on during the pandemic. We've actually invested 
to move, get our airport developments, for example, done quicker. You know, we're building a new airport at LAX. We're building a new airport at LaGuardia. We've got a new airport that we just opened up in Salt Lake City, Utah, last month. Uh, we're taking advantage of the fact that travel is low to get a lot more work and taking years off their cycles. We're modernizing our technology applications. We're modernizing our fleet. We've retired 20% of our oldest planes so that when customers start to travel again, they're going to see a, a new fleet uh, you know, that, that's more uh, friendly and uh, not just uh, environmentally friendly, but customer friendly as well. Uh, we uh, are continuing to take planes during this, during this uh, pandemic. Airbus has shifted about $5 billion of, of our order book to the right, to the 2022 and beyond period. But we're still taking those planes that we need in the interim to make up for the planes that we're retiring. So we've got a lot of opportunity. I, I call it protecting our future and actually pulling our future forward so that when we get to the other side of this, we're going to be smarter, we're going to be wiser, we're going to be stronger, we're going to be more resilient. And our people will know from what they've been through that this change will actually have been, we'll have learned a lot from it. Uh, it's not something that any of us wanted to, to have to go through, but I think it's, it's something that has slowed us down and has had us focus on those priorities we have to be, to be an even better airline. Ed, you've taken risks in your career. It's been a fascinating career, exposing fraud with PwC, ensuring Pepsi meets its P&L, moving to Delta and then leaving Delta in 2005, only to be lured back once again to become CFO. Is there anything as you reflect on this current 2020 you would have done differently? Any other decisions, brave steps you might have taken? Or has this really been, from your perspective, the right path? I, I know it's the right path. And I, I know, looking back, there's, there's pl probably plenty of things that, if with the, with the benefit of hindsight, would have done something a little differently, of course. But the first thing that we did at the start of the pandemic, the, the word I, I used was protection for our people. Uh, protecting our people, protecting their health, which is what we're doing, protecting our customers, uh, restoring the confidence, protecting confidence in air travel, protecting our cash, and protecting our future. And when you focus on protection and everything we've done, and we've run hard to protect each one of those planks, that has formed the basis for the recovery plan that we're in the midst of. And so thematically, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Uh, intuitively, I guess it comes from 40 years of experience and having been through many crises that the word protection was came to mind immediately. Uh, and we're now moving as we go through the recovery from a period of protection to a period of resiliency. We're, we're now building that, that muscle that we need to make sure that we take the learnings from this time frame to build a stronger, more resilient. You know, we've talked about business travel not coming back to the full extent. It will come back. It may not come back in, at full force. But what we need to do is make sure the business travel that's coming back is, is, is resilient travel. It's not going to be as volatile uh, and subject to, to change. Uh, you know, those trips that many of us have taken throughout our careers going across country on the red eyes or to Europe for a meeting and turning around and coming back, you know, later that same day, you know, th that, that adds nothing when you think about it to, 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 to someone's overall wellness and well-being. And our, our business model should not be predicated on that type of journey. What it needs to be uh, focused on is, is building better relationships and continuing better relationships with the customers, which our employees are doing. Our net promoter score is at an all-time high in the company, and ensuring that we understand the purpose of their travel and we can best serve them. So I think we've got a, we've got a lot that we are still learning, and it's, 
you know, it's early days. Uh, we're, you know, we still have a couple miles yet to run in this marathon, a couple years probably, to get to the other end of this. But when we get there, it's going to be a really, a much better airline for customers, for our employees, for our community, for our government, for all of our stakeholders. That's it for this episode of What You Missed This Week. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tune in every weekday to our daily market close show from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg Television and from 4 to 5 p.m. streaming on Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.